Our study tonight is from the book of 1 Kings. And we're going to look tonight at the miracle that took place in the home where Elijah was staying, the miracle of the raising of this boy from the dead. Now I think I want us to um, think about this miracle tonight in terms of your impossible situation. In terms of your impossible situation. I think that perhaps um, it would be uh, right on to say that some of us are facing some very bleak and impossible situations. For some of us it might be a financial problem, a financial burden that seems impossible to meet a debt that's uh, looming before us. For some of us, it might be a family problem, a broken relationship that just seems to be beyond healing and help. For some, it might be that, that you're facing a crisis of uh, doubt or, or depression, and you're really dealing with some things in your own life. But whatever that impossible situation is tonight, I want us to deal with it, this text, in light of your impossible situation. And as you face that almost, that virtually impossible situation, thing it's out of your hands, perhaps you're watching on television and you have a health problem, whatever, to remember that God is the one who often enters life at the level of our need, and who rescues us and delivers us from these virtually impossible uh, circumstances and situations. Verse 17 of chapter 17 begins like this. Now it came about after these things. What were these things that it's talking about? Well, Elijah stood before Ahab in the first verse of the 17th chapter, the first time we saw him. And he announced to the king of Israel that a drought was coming and would last for three years until he said for it to rain. Immediately after that announcement before the king, God sent Elijah, told him to go and hide himself by the brook at Kareth. The word means to cut off or to cut down. So Elijah was cut off from his position as a prophet and was sent out to this lonely and desolate place to live and wait on God. He waited on the ravens to feed him. He literally waited on God. Chapter 18, verse 1 begins with this word. Now, go and show yourself to Ahab. Go and hide yourself. Go and show yourself. Well, in the middle of this, uh, of verses 17 to 18, 1, Elijah was under this great test from God. God put him through a test. He put him through the test of the dried up stream out there waiting on God. The source of life for him began to dry up just like some of the experiences of our life become dry and desolate. And he took him and he sent him to Zarephath. And there the word means to smelt or to refine. God put him in the crucible of testing to refine him. I've said it several times from this pulpit if the Lord puts you in the furnace, remember He's no arsonist, He's a refiner. And He was refining the dross from the life of Elijah so that His own image could be reflected in Him. Will you trust God day by day? Will you live depending upon God? God came through as He always does. 
And in the midst of this context and test, God put him through the greatest test of all. For as he lived in the home of this widow woman in this kind of delicate situation, her son dies. The Bible says that no breath was in him. Perhaps he had a respiratory problem, but he dies. And the test that took place now is the final testing of Elijah. Now I want you to notice with me how this uh, woman handled this. Verse 18. So she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. You've come to kill my son. Um, here was Elijah trying to do what God uh, wanted him to do. Have you ever been there before? And the woman lashed out at him saying, You're the man that promised that God would take care of us. And you're the man who has come with these, this word from God to tell us that God is going to provide, that God is, has anointed your ministry. You're God's man. You've come to kill my son. Ever since you've been here, yes, we've been supplied with uh, a miracle of, of, of bread and oil, but we've been on the edge of starvation, and now you've come as a condemnation of my sin, the death of my son. I'm impressed with the silence of Elijah. He doesn't talk back, he doesn't lash back. Let me say to you tonight that when you stand where God has placed you to stand, and when you live where God has led you to live, you don't have to be defensive. And you don't have to justify what you've done. You don't have to even explain what you've done. The silence of Elijah speaks volumes of words. Now let me say parenthetically something, some things about the, the grief process. Um, I, I stepped in to watch the film tonight. These are excellent films. And uh, uh, this woman was talking about what happens in the grieving process. Uh, let me just share with you, because I think you need to know this, the various stages of the grieving process. And, and these stages all of us have to go through. And sometimes they happen simultaneously, but you pass through all of them. The first is shock. The second is denial. This is not happening. This has not happened. They've uh, confused the, uh, uh, the x-rays. My, my loved one surely doesn't have cancer. The denial of it. Then there is anger, and then there is guilt. And then there is true grief, and then there is acceptance. Now... I don't know whether Elijah was a good psychologist or, no, or not, but I think he understood, understood that this woman was going through the natural grief process. And there are two stages that are apparent in our text. One is anger, and she lashes out at Elijah, and the other is guilt, for she felt that her son's death was somehow related to her own guilt. We all go through those processes, those stages. I've had people get angry at me when their loved one dies. You didn't visit them enough. We get angry. when That's the stage we go through. And sometimes there's guilt. I didn't do enough. I should have taken him to the doctor sooner. And Elijah understood that this woman was just going through this, the guilt, the, the grief process, which involves anger and guilt. On occasion, you've had the opportunity to minister to people in grief. You don't have to say a lot. All you have to do is just be there. 
And Elijah understood that. He didn't say a lot to the woman. In fact, he said nothing to her. He just was there. And your presence in the, in the midst of those who are suffering, in the sorrow of, of death that has come, your being there is the most important thing. Not a whole lot you can say. Here was this man who was walking with God, who all of a sudden was the object of this woman's blame and anger. Now on your outline, it says historical. I want you to put the pause button on right there, and I want us to look down to faith and prayer at the horizontal and vertical response of this man Elijah. Look at it beginning in verse 19. And he said to her, Give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his bed. And he called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Now I want you to notice the horizontal and vertical response of this man of God. First, he didn't argue with the woman. He didn't question God or enter into that emotion. He took the son to the room where he had had all these great battles with God in the past. He took the son to the, womb, to the room of prayer. You have such a room? Is there a place where you go daily and battle with God in prayer? If there is such a room in your life, then it's natural for you to take these impossible situations to that room and battle with God there. And if you don't have a room like that, you need to get one. I was impressed one time. We had the uh, Miss Texas visit our church to give her testimony. Run her up to uh, Miss America a few years ago. And I was just talking with her about her uh, life growing up in a Christian home out here in West Texas. And she said, the most important place in our home where I was growing up was this place in the den, she said. We said, there was this old couch where all of us got together for our family devotion, our family prayers. If there ever was a problem that we had to deal with and talk about. We always got together as a family at this old couch. And she said it came time for us to redecorate our house and we bought all new furniture for the living room, except we didn't replace that old couch. And she said, I guess as long as there's a house standing there, that place where we went to God in prayer will always be important. Do you have a place where you go to get alone with God, to do the battles of life? Do you have a room like that? Now, what do you do when you encounter an impossible situation with something that's out of your hands? What did Elijah do? He just got alone with God and he got involved in the, in the situation. He got alone with God and he got involved in the need. And this is what he did. He didn't air out his problem with, before men. He didn't question God before man. He didn't express before men his hurt and his anger and his doubts but he poured them out to God, and you're free to do that. The kind of relationship that every one of us ought to have is a relationship that allows us the freedom to go right straight to God with all of our hurts and our doubts and our angers and bear our heart before Him. He's not threatened by that. 
And the way to deal with the impossible situation is to stretch it out before God. And so he puts that impossible situation down on the bed, that son that had died, and he placed himself over the body of that boy, uh, hand to hand, foot to foot, stretched himself. I don't know why he did that. did it three times. I don't know why. But I do know this, it had never been done before. Now I want you to go back to that thing It says historically there. I want to show you something. As far as we know, there had been, never been anybody raised from the dead. He didn't have a manual that he could open up and, and the manual would say, you know, when somebody dies, do one, two, three, and four. If it's your own child, do five and six. If it's your best friend, do seven and eight. There had been no record, no manual, no formula to go through. And sometimes I think God just takes us time and time again in through the experiences of life that are absolutely unique to us. There are no manuals that we can trust in and depend on, just, just this Word. And we go up into our room where we've done battle with God in prayer, and all we have is the promise of His Word and the triumphs of His Word and our problems. And all we have is our relationship with God and the promise of His Word. And we bring our situations into the light of His Word and into the knowledge of what we know about God. And this is what He said. Simple prayer. O Lord my God, I pray Thee, let this child's life Return to him. Now he'd never, he didn't, he couldn't say just like Moses did. He couldn't say like Abraham did, like happened, like what happened to Abraham on Mount Moriah. He couldn't say that. All he could say was, "Lord, let my, let this child live." And God's answer came. What's this? And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. And there are no words to describe the feeling, the, the, the electricity of that, that room where Elijah had had many prayers answered. And I want you just to allow your heart, your mind, your feelings to be caught up in that there in that room is that boy began to live again. And Elijah's prayer became an, an answer right before his eyes. And that miracle that came as a miracle that had never happened before happened right in the presence of this man of God. And the, what a thrill as, as, he stood, as he stood there and watched the impossible become possible as he watched his problem dissolve before his eyes in the power of God. If that's never happened to you, you missed out on the greatest experiences of life. To be able to take something that is totally out of your hands to a place of prayer and see God answer prayer. See Him accomplish what you can never accomplish. There are no words to describe what they must have felt as they looked at each other for the first time after, his, after he died. 
And that boy and that prophet embraced perhaps in that upper room and rejoiced in the miracle of God. Now what did the woman do? Then the woman, first Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Now this is what she said. Now I know, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now watch what, you see what she's saying? I know now that what you've been saying is true because I've seen the validation of it in your life. I know now what you say is true because I've seen the validation of it in your actions. I believe what you say now because I've seen the evidence of what you say. Let me tell you something. There needs to be some validation for what you say. Now you and I, it's easy. Talk is cheap. It's easy for us to talk about God answering prayer, God performing miracles, God giving strength to do the impossible, and God meeting needs and providing. But is there any validation of it in your life? I'll not believe it, she said, until I see the validation of it. And it's time to quit preaching. It's time to quit teaching if there's no validation of that truth. Now, I want you to turn right quick, and we're going to wind this up, just tie a hard knot by looking at a verse of Scripture in the sixth chapter of Luke. Sixth chapter of Luke, beginning at verse 43. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Now underline verse 46. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you say these words and not live them? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And I want to give you a project, something to do this week, that will help you implement verse 46 to validate the truth of your words. I want you to take on this project to do what God has said in the home with regard to some things. Number one, with regard to calmness and contentment, will you do what Jesus said in the home this week with regard to calmness and contentment? Now, whatever Jesus said about calmness and contentment, 
Will you do that in your home? To validate for the truth of the Word. Why do you call Him Lord, Lord? Do not the things He says. Or you might choose gentleness and self-control. That has to do with your temper. Will you do what Jesus said with regard to gentleness and self-control to validate the truth of your Christian profession? I know one thing he said about self-control. If he said somebody strikes you on the, one che- on the cheek, turn the other. If he asks you to go one mile, go two. If he asks for your coat, give him your cloak. Bless those that persecute you. Somebody gives you a hard time, pray for them. Will you do what Jesus said with regard to gentleness and control in the home to validate your Christian witness? Or you might choose an undiminished faith. Will you live out this week an undiminished faith, a confidence that will wait upon God to validate the truth of your mouth? Or you might choose humility. Will you live in that spirit of humility and teachableness You know what Jesus taught about that? Why call me Lord, Lord, He said, and do not do the things that I say. And it's it's apparent, it's amazing, it's glaringly apparent that what happened, this miracle that happened, this impossible situation that was the miracle of an answered prayer took place in the home. And I'm here to tell you, If your Christian witness, if your Christian profession cannot be validated in your home, it cannot be validated, period. And if it is not validated before the people who know you best, then it's not worth its weight. Um, Someone wrote these words. Will you listen to them? It's about a man who went through an experience much like Elijah. This and I'm through. This is the summation of it. This man was much like Elijah. He was quiet for a while with his Lord, but he wrote these words for himself to remember. First, God brought me here. It is by His will that I am in this straight place. In that fact, I will rest. He's writing it out, this man who went through this test. Next, God will keep me here in His love. He will give me grace to behave as His child. Then, God will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons He intends me to learn and working in me the grace He needs to bestow. Last, In God's good time, He will bring me out again. How and when, He knows. Let me say it this way. I am here by God's appointment, in His keeping, under His training, for His time. And how I act in the midst of this trial this impossible situation will validate or invalidate my witness. God, give me strength to be more than conqueror. Would you pray with me? Father, for this...
place of prayer where we come and place our needs before you in faith. We thank you. We thank you, Father, that there are so many places and times in our life where we encounter the impossible, where the situation looks so grim, hopeless. Because we, re we rejoice because, Father, that's the greatest place where we can validate the witness that we've declared again and again. And so we pray, Father, not for the removal of the situation, but for the grace to be conquerors and more than conquerors in the situation, to validate all that we've said with our lips. And help us to know, Father, that there are people who are, whose faith is weak and threatened, who are looking to us to see if what we say is really true. Oh God, in the midst of the trial, let us be found faithful. And Lord, for those of us who have no place of prayer, no upper room where we can take our situation, Lord, let us find that place, that that lonely place of prayer. Make it, Father, for us the most important spot in life. Because I pray in Jesus' name for His sake. Now there are three invitations that I'll offer tonight in the Lord's will. The first invitation is for us, those of us who have never experienced personal salvation. Maybe you're a child or an adult who has never by faith claimed Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've heard about Him. You know that He is God's Son. That he is sinless, that He died on the cross. You don't understand all that's there and involved in that, neither do I. But I trust Jesus and Jesus only to be my Savior. Have you trusted Him in a moment in a point of time where you've claimed His salvation, confessed your sin, trusted Him and Him only. Would you like to do that tonight? Maybe you're visiting. You, but you want to come just to say, I want to trust Christ. Help me to be saved. We're not asking you to join our church at this point in time. If you'd like to come and re receive Christ, do that. Second invitation is for Christian people who need to Rededicate their life. You've said, Lord, Lord, but you've not done the things He said. You know what He said about many things, contentment and power and freedom and love. You've not done those. There's no validation to what you've said. You want to rededicate your life to Him, to find a place of prayer, a place of battle with God, with the world time for rededication. Maybe to join the church as some did this morning. Place your life in this place. We're not asking you just to put your membership here. Put your life here. Work with us. We'll stand and sing our theme and we invite you to come right on the first. Would you do it?